0: Are you experiencing disconnection in your relationship? Do you feel like you're constantly struggling with the same unresolved issues? Are you having difficulty managing strong emotions? Or would you just like to know a little bit more about therapy? We've got you covered.
1: Welcome back to Spilling the Therapy with therapist Kathy Dan Moore and Greek coach Jess Lowe. Hey, Kathy Dan.
0: Hey, Jess, I thought you said Greek at first.
1: I'm not like Greek. Greek. Well, I was in a sorority. <laughs> That's as Greek as I get.
0: That's as Greek as
1: you get. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm actually going tomorrow. I'm leaving to go see Lily for Parents Weekend at I'm FSU. Excited. And She is having, she's loving her sorority. She's an 80 pie and loves it. And they're having an event tomorrow night. And then on Saturday, they're having a brunch before the game. So I'm going to be going, taking, having a little bit of a window into her Greek life.
1: That's so cool. I'm so glad that she's found her little community there. I know. It makes me so
0: happy. And they, they already had to get apartments. That was the saga of this week, right? Was... The leases for the fall of 2024 come out now. They came out this okay. week and opened up. And p- she and her little girlfriends were in line at like 4.30 in the morning or something in order to get a QR code, to get a number so that then you can get, I don't even know. So she did get an apartment. Um, but I just think that's kind of crazy. That So this is
1: like off-campus housing. Yes,
0: yeah. Okay. So her sorority, you can't live in the house. I think I know you can't as a sophomore. I don't know if you can as a junior, but I, I think her plan is to try to live in the house her senior year. So she oh, needs. Cool. But it just seems early, you know, yeah. to be getting a bunch of girls to agree who yeah. they want to live with after they've only been at school for six or seven weeks yeah. and then expecting them all to be getting along in next year.
1: <laughs> this
0: year. I was like yeah. optimistic. That really, is. that really is. <laughs>
1: well, when I was in my sorority, we didn't have a house. We yeah. had like an apartment thing where like we'd meet for chapter because in the city of Birmingham, if more than four girls live together, it's considered a brothel. So I,
0: and since I was in New Orleans, it <laughs> yep. was the same. I don't think it was four, but we had houses. It was, our house was beautiful. I loved it. But I think just five or six girls mm-hmm. could, could live in there. And so yeah. I lived off campus after freshman year. But yes, it they had that same. I don't know if it's still. Is it's, that un, it's so
1: insane. I mean, because all the guys had, well, they didn't have houses. They would rent a house, like an old historical home in Birmingham. Okay. But there's like 90 boys. I mean, whoever whoever could fit what they fit, you know?
0: And I'm sure it was disgusting. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I could still smell it. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I know, so it's, right? just, it's, it's just, you know, that. I don't know. Stale beer yeah.
0: smell. And oh, like, gosh. yeah, Sweat. <laughs> I know. I remember, <laughs> although I will say just listening to everything she's doing and and just watching her enjoy the process. It has made me incredibly nostalgic for my experience. At yeah. She, like, yeah. That's awesome. I'm so happy for her. I know, me too. Well. All right. So today we're going to talk about the difference between shame and guilt. Yes. Uh, It gets brought up a lot in my sessions by me because um, I'm usually trying to help people better understand their shame and their toxic shame and, and differentiating that from guilt. But the two emotions, they're often confused with one another. Mm-hmm. So guilt sounds like that thing you did was wrong. Whereas mm-hmm. shame sounds like because you did that thing, you're a bad person. Yeah. So guilt can be a, a really helpful emotion. You know, when we're maintaining relationships, it keeps us on track. If we've drifted, drifted, you know, from our moral standards. So guilt can be utilized in a productive way, but shame can be toxic. Mm-hmm. Mainly from constantly being told that you're not enough. So this this can be because parents or peers keep telling you that and your confidence suffers from this sort of deep seated emotion and it affects the way that you see yourself. So a lot of EMDR that I do is around, you know, residual shame of things that have happened in people's childhood. So we're going to talk about how you conquer that and discuss a little bit about the, you know the the main core of conquering shame starts with self compassion so brene brown who most people know and we've referenced probably a couple of times is a is a shame researcher and so mm-hmm. i'm going to read this quote by her cuz she puts it this way if you put shame in a petri dish it needs three things to grow exponentially secrecy silence and judgment if you put the same amount of shame in a petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. And I think that's okay. so powerful. And she, yeah. I would encourage anybody to read if you're interested in this particular topic, read things by Brene Brown. She has an amazing TED Talk. I think she has a podcast as well that mm-hmm. I don't I haven't really listened to, but she's really great. She she talks about vulnerability. That's her other big piece um that she's researched yeah. a lot. But you know, toxic shame is debilitating feeling. And it's this debilitating feeling of worthlessness and self-loathing. It can yeah. be pretty hard to operate productively, happily, joyfully in life if you're experiencing toxic shame, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think people wonder too like how shame becomes toxic, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reality is you've probably felt and will continue to feel shame at various times in your life. Um, Shame can last a few hours or even a few days. Ordinary shame is a feeling in response to wrongdoing or thinking something you believe is immoral. Uh, Usually ordinary shame dissipates in those few days and is tied to only one specific event.
0: I think about like that feeling you get, that hotness you get. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get that with embarrassment too. But like that shame is like that kind of, it almost like feels like a hot vibration yeah, in my and head.
1: I'm just thinking of this, <laughs> I remember, okay, I'm y'all, I'm not a cheater, cheater, punk eater, but in third grade I had to do <laughs> multiplication tables. Okay, so this is my example. And I remember like it was timed multiplication, right? And I was not good with like my eights my sixes, you know, and I remember a wondering eye, you know, you're eight years old. <laughs> yes. you're, like, you're like, oh, they're getting answers. Couldn't ever see what anyone else was had, obviously. But I always would get that hot feel like I, like I knew that I shouldn't have been looking. Yes. That's the kind of like ordinary shame we're talking about yes, here. That's a know? really good example. <laughs>
0: you know? I wish I could say that was the extent of the cheating that I've ever done.
1: But I can't. <laughs> But that's you know you get that hot feeling like oh man and then you feel bad and you're yeah. like, oh, shutting up and looking even though I didn't see anything it didn't help me any but still like oh see
0: mine more looked like the Spanish teacher freshman year at Tulane going I'm moving you to the other side of the classroom because I can see that you're cheating off your friend Mari that's that's what mine In looked college, like
1: guys <laughs> Spanish just wasn't my thing you know yeah. <laughs> so, the, so that's kind of how ordinary shame goes. That's a little example. Yeah. <laughs> of it. Toxic shame that comes from constantly being told you're not enough. Uh, it results in negative self talk that stays with you. Um, childhood abuse, neglect, other traumatic experiences can cause toxic shame and make us believe that we're not good enough.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, toxic shame can start in the way you were given feedback for certain incidences as a child. Uh, usually by your parent. Mm -hmm. For example, if you wet the bed, your parent may have reacted in one of these two ways. One, they could have reassured you that it was all right and cleaned it up without making a fuss.
0: Clearly we're stressing that that's the nice way.
1: (laughs) Yes. Or they lashed out at you and said things like, why do you always do this? What's wrong with you? mm hmm yeah. Um, you know, that second reaction would probably have led you to believe that there was something wrong with you, especially right. the parent that you're supposed to trust and guide you is telling you there's something wrong with you. Um, you know, your feeling of shame can turn into toxic shame when the second scene keeps repeating.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, I don't want parents out there to feel like when we say this, if you've said that to your kid at some point, you've now instilled toxic shame in them. We can, no. cause we're not talking about when we've said something, you know, I don't know if this is for just my own <laughs> guilt that I have for <laughs> things that I wish I'd said nicer or more constructive or more, you know, encouraging, but um, or for everybody else. I, but I do think, you know, overall, as parents, we have moments where we say things like, oh, my God, what is wrong with you? Or something yeah. like that. That is different when it is an isolated incident. And yeah. when as parents, we circle back around and say, I'm sorry, mommy was really tired. It's all right. right, we'll clean it up. Like, so there is space in that. I don't want people right, to be themselves as parents now.
1: Yeah. So other repeated phrases that cause toxic shame, depending on the incident are, why are you doing it like that? You're wrong. Mm-hmm. What were you thinking? Or you'll never be as good as them. Oh,
0: that just um, breaks my heart to even.
1: That does, Yeah. Um, if you're told these things often enough, you might start telling yourself, for example, I'm not worthy of love. Yeah. And holding on to feelings of unworthiness can be very damaging to your mental and physical health.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And shame based behavior, it's been described. I like this one as burying. I never know if I, it's burying or burying. Burying, burying, burying the bones in the backyard. Oh, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So in other words, when we feel our behavior is shameful, we're going to hide the evidence of the crime. I see that a lot with people who are working on different addictions, Mm -hmm. right? And the shame they have around it, which then starts the secrecy, which then starts that spiral. So um, some of the things are feeling worthless, worrying what others might think about you, being afraid that you look stupid, Mm -hmm. perfectionism in response to fearing failure, constant negative self self-talk and anger in response to shame triggers. So toxic shame can be dangerous because shame is behind the symptoms because that is behind the symptoms of withdrawal and mm-hmm. anger. So the withdrawal looks like, you know, wanting to curl up in a ball and disappear because you feel the shame and the shame is making us feel like we're not good enough so then we're trying to hide away from people and places yeah. and isolation. And then that's a different kind of spiral. And then anger, because you feel the emotional pain, you become angry to try to aim your pain away from yourself. So projecting it away onto yeah. other anger. Um, And then kind of what I referenced earlier, Toxic Shame has also really been linked to substance abuse, eating disorders, self-harm, codependency, depression, anxiety, oversleeping or inability to sleep, stomach pain, low Mm self-esteem. There is a really good book. Well, I'll get into it, but it's the newest um, book that talks about the, uh, talks more about trauma and then the results of these things. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of how your past trauma, it, it's Gabor Mate. Um, okay. And I just started his newest book because I was listening to his um, podcast episode on Armchair mm-hmm. Expert, as I do. And um, <laughs> as I do. And so I just started the newest book, but the print. But the whole premise of the book is the idea that past trauma impacts your physical and mental well-being. The book is called "The Myth of Normal." Um, okay, and we'll link that. Okay, and so yes, those are like inevitably the result of not processing this past toxic shame and the the current toxic shame often from past trauma is all of these things like substance abuse, eating disorders, self-harm, depression, Mm -hmm. anxiety. It's so linked. Um, These unhealthy coping mechanisms really try to serve as an escape for your emotional pain or your uh, inability to face yourself. So you may also become a perfectionist. And I I see this a lot and I, and this one, it, it gets skipped as being a problem, I think, but mm-hmm. it ultimately it's the unrealistic expectations in your attempt to avoid being shamed again. So perfectionism is important to kind of highlight because people you, being perfectionistic is really upheld by society as a positive and as a good thing. And I think it reinforces the idea that you get, um, a pat on the back and looked yeah. up to when you're, you know, presenting yourself in this overly positive way, it reinforces it. We applaud those characteristics. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it can make people physically and mentally sick from the perfectionistic behaviors. And I see it happen. I've experienced it myself. Um, you know, when you're trying to achieve something that is completely unattainable in order to cover up for something you feel shame around. Yeah. um, It's going to make you tired. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It'll tire you out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, toxic shame impacts how people think about and treat themselves uh, because many with toxic shame try to avoid that embarrassment or a shame trigger. Toxic shame also robs them of many life choices and joys in life mm-hmm. too. Um, regaining a more positive sense of self. So separate from the shame caused by poor childhood treatment is possible. Um, Self-compassion is key to to the process. And I want to say we say this almost every episode. We wouldn't treat our best friend a certain way. Let's start treating ourselves how we would treat, you know, our best friends and and people around us. You know, Um, you also need that self-awareness, mindfulness, and patience. So we have some tips to help overcome that toxic shame. The first one is to face the root of your shame. Mm. It's important to understand and examine your feelings. Find the cause of your shame in order to move forward. That's a tough one also become aware. Yeah, it really is. You really have to like, look at yourself. You're putting yourself under a microscope here. Um, and that that's intimidating for a lot of people, right. Um, become aware of how you talk to yourself again. So try to observe your own thoughts, but not react to them. Um, have compassion for yourself. Everyone has flaws and mistakes, even if it seems like your mistakes were huge, accept that you're only human Mm. learn from the past, but don't get stuck in the past. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned, you talk about practicing mindfulness and meditation. They can work wonders as you learn to observe your thoughts. Um, feeling shame forces you to react. So it can be very powerful to just notice your thoughts and question them.
0: Yeah. And we talk about mindfulness a lot. And I mean, I know we've mentioned it on other episodes, but it's important to say like mindfulness is this big word that I think people are like, I don't even know what that means when you say practice mindfulness. That's all it means. What are you thinking? Uh, that's mm-hmm. where we break it down into senses. What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I smelling? If you're tasting yeah. something, what, you know, et cetera. So that is, that is what mindfulness is it brings you to the here and now, because the problem with unprocessed trauma, which results in toxic shame, is that past experiences are like
1: co-opting our current, our our yeah. current
0: experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, recognize when you're feeling shame. Mindfulness can help alert you when you're feeling shame. If you are, mention it to a friend or a partner. Shame thrives in dark places, so shine a light on it and watch its power fade away. And Mm. one of our friends, Ann Lee, everyone knows her. She's been on the show a couple times. She had brought up earlier today, we were talking to her, a quote from Ann Voskamp, and it's, shame dies when stories are told in safe places. I love that. I love that, too. Um, So I thought that really... That really resonated here. Um, and seeking yeah. support. So a support network can give you an outlet to top things out when necessary and boost your sense of belonging. This can be friends, family, co-workers, therapists, mm-hmm. life coaches, you know, somebody that's in your corner. It's really important. Right.
0: Yeah. So recapping it, toxic shame. Should not be underestimated. It's a really painful Mm experiences, but you really can manage the symptoms and cultivate new thinking habits. So recognizing shame-based thoughts and challenging them is not something that happens overnight. This really takes practice, Mm -hmm. but learning coping techniques and treating yourself with compassion can dissolve toxic shame. I think everybody can relate to when you finally say that thing you felt shame about or embarrassment, and you finally say it out loud and somebody else goes, all right, like they hear it. They don't judge you or they go me too. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Like the weight lifted off your shoulders. It's that time so much more when you really get to the root of toxic shame. So you don't have to go through it alone. You know, you can have these coping skills and healing skills, but a mental health professional is a really great place to go if you're struggling with it, because they can help you take some of the additional steps needed
1: to overcome. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we haven't asked and answered. Let's answer from Jackie and Spanish fork, Utah. That's kind of like where I live. Spanish fork, But fork. Um, oh, there you it's go. Close. Um, it says my ex-husband and I have a beautiful seven-year-old daughter. We divorced when she was five and have both started dating new people. I make it a rule that I do not have my boyfriend spend the night when my daughter's at my home. We've been dating for four months and I have just recently introduced him to my child as a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see how they interact with each other before making it known that we're dating as she's only seven. Yeah. However, my ex-husband's girlfriend stayed at his house with them all weekend. They've been dating two months. This is not something I'm comfortable with. Any advice?
0: Oh, yes. So <laughs> I, operated more like Jackie in my uh-huh. divorce and I, mm-hmm. and I'm applauding her. I think that's really great. That's putting the kid first. And we've talked about that before. And, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And at the same time, so I'll say a couple things I do, because I do divorce mediations. I do mm-hmm. write in usually a piece in the, Um, parenting plan about Mm -hmm. the introduction of new partners. And usually they want something about the amount of time or possibly they want to meet the other person before the child meets them or no living, whatever it is, right? Because everybody's parenting plan is their own document. But we do usually put some piece in there. Yeah. With that said, it is near impossible to uphold. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you, this person who's coming into your ex's home, you can prove is, you know, disruptive or harmful to your Mm -hmm. child, um, it's, it's pretty hard to uphold that. So the, the suggestion that I always give to people is like, it's okay to have a conversation with your kiddo about, you know, we don't all make the same decisions in each home And Mm -hmm. and continuing to touch base with your daughter about her comfort level at the house without feeding her information. We're not trying to get her to put her in the middle or whatever, just or just openly asking questions to see how she's doing. But at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, you can't do much. Outside of Mm -hmm. trying to have a conversation with your ex-husband, you know, about protecting your daughter and boundaries, you really don't have a whole lot of say of what's going on over there unless it is negatively impacting your children. And then that's a whole different story that I could also talk a lot about and we could go into another time. (laughs) (laughs) But that's if that's not the
1: case, then...
0: You have to try to do the best you can while
1: parenting your daughter at yeah. your house. Yeah, let her know that she does have that safe space and line of communication with you. I and mean, then, yeah. you know, you can't make the rules at your ex's house. That's his, his home. He's going to do what he wants, you know. Yeah. But I mean, maybe like reach out to your ex husband and and ask to say, hey, can we have a meetup? I'd love to meet. So, and so, um, right. so she is spending time with our, you know, with our daughter. And then also when, it, when it's time for, you know, if you haven't introduced the boyfriend to him, it goes both ways. So right. just make sure that you're offering the same thing that you're asking for in return. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. It's a tough situation. A lot of people yeah. struggle with this one. Yeah.
1: Good luck, Jackie. Good it's luck. Hard. Yeah, it is. All right, guys. Well, thank you to our listeners for joining us today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This will help us move up the chart and be more accessible to new listeners. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We will drop tips and information about upcoming episodes. If you have a question for our Ask and Answered segment, email us at us at spellingtetherity.com. Don't forget to check out our new website, SpillingTheTherity.com. We'll continue to add resources and information. I hope everyone has a great weekend. We're your hosts, Kathy Danmore and Jess Lip. And
0: join us next time where we will be discussing suicide. We'll be breaking it
1: down one sip at a time. The podcast you heard today is for educational purposes only and does not replace the advice you may be receiving from a licensed therapist.